0: Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. So this week we're going over our interview with Stan Gordon. It's long awaited and long promised. Stan's a great guy, and I really, as you're going to hear in this interview, appreciate everything he does and the thoroughness of his investigations. Alright, let's get it. Now before we get started, I think it's important to address something. So last week I talked about Yvonne Smith, when she was talking about that abduction tape. and I talked about her abduction. Well, I was wrong in that. Yvonne Smith, as far as I know, has never talked about being abducted. Where my confusion led in is Yvonne Smith, Denise Stoner, and Barbara Lamb have all worked for Kathleen Martin. So within that time frame, and all of the abductions I've heard, I've confused either Denise Stoner or Barbara Lamb with Yvonne Smith. Now, Yvonne Smith is not the one who was abducted. I believe it was Denise Stoner that actually had that story, so I wanted to clarify that. Now, I will go back... And I will try to find the podcasts I listened to in which she talked about her abduction. But I do want to clarify that and hold myself accountable. I like to do that. Many people out there don't, but I will. Now, how do I know that Yvonne Smith has never been abducted? Well, of course, as always, I listened to other podcasts. And I listened to an interview with her. And that was what I heard. That she had never been abducted. But there is one other issue that came out of that. As you all know, I work a daytime job. We all do. Or at least most people do. And then we also study UFOs, alien ductions, Sasquatches, the paranormal. We do it as on the side. We don't make money off of it. Well, here's a little bit of where my issue comes in. And it's actually one of the reasons I have an issue with MUFON but to get into Yvonne Smith really quickly, she seems like a very nice, sweet lady. I'd love to meet her at some point, but there's one issue that I take up with her, and that is she charges people money to get these hypnotic regressions done. Now, if you want to be a freelance reporter or a writer, you go on blogs, you write articles, you do things like that, that's understandable. If you want to make money off of the UFO phenomena that way, Or anything in the paranormal that way. That is fine. But for therapeutic help. You should not be charging that price. Bud Hopkins never charged. John Mack never charged. So my question comes up. Why are you charging? I don't like that thought. Now again I say I'm sure Yvonne is a very nice lady. And I'm going to make this point. Coupled in. ...with, like, your star team or state directors of MUFON. If you are getting a salary... ...from people's donations... ...or, in Yvonne's case... ...therapeutic help... ...I find an issue with that. You shouldn't be getting paid to study UFOs. Now, in the case of MUFON, that's people's donations... as well as as field investigator stuff. You're taking money from people and then getting a salary over it. Now, I don't really care what kind of excuse they could give for that. If you tell me, oh, this person has to do all of this work, so they should have a salary in order to focus on this phenomenon. Well, guess what? There's universities for that, and they will do it. Trust me. There's volunteers that will go out and study that specific thing. That's what a field investigator does. You can call them up and they will go look into the UFO experience or sighting. That's what Stan did. Stan Gordon never asked anybody for money. As you all know, at one point I wanted to join MUFON and become a field investigator. We're coming up past a year on that now. I no longer want that. And I didn't then. And that's one of the main reasons why. Other than the fact that I don't really like our state director all that much, even though I did an interview with her. Now, again, if you want to make money selling books, being a freelance writer, being a podcaster, and that kind of thing, that's understandable but I talk to these people all the time I go over cases out of books I'm constantly reading and I could never imagine taking somebody like a Debbie Cobble and making her pay me money to look into something traumatic for her there will never be an excuse for that now on the move-on front there is no excuse for you to be getting a salary studying UFOs that way from people's donations. Now, I'm not going to bag on the state director of Colorado. I don't care. I could, but you know what? I don't I don't agree with her. We're going to put it that way. And if you listen to some of the other podcasts she's been on, you may or may not understand why. It's a long-winded rant, but we're past it now. Now we're going to get on to our great conversation with Stan. We cover alien abductions. We go over a lot of sighting cases, as well as close-up encounters with not only UFOs, but hairy bipedal beings, as well as a little cryptozoology thrown in there that aren't of the hairy hominid kind. All right, let's get it. So I'm here with Stan Gordon. Um, Stan, can you tell us a little bit about what got you into this?
1: Well, I started this uh, many years ago as a 10-year-old child who was interested in science and electronics. And uh, I happened to be tuning around the AM radio dial one night. Uh, It was in October uh, 1959, and I happened to hear some radio discussion about strange happenings. Uh, They were talking about uh, paranormal phenomena, haunted houses, uh, flying saucers, and topics of that nature, and it caught my attention. And I wanted to know if these people were making these stories up or they were telling the truth. So I began to go to our local library in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, where I lived, began to read all the books they had on the subject, began to cut articles out of the newspapers, made scrapbooks, and uh, that's where it all began for me, and now I've been doing this for, well, this is 63 years right now, and um, I have never personally seen a Bigfoot or a UFO, believe it or not.
0: So, if I asked you what would be the most convincing evidence that you have seen of this phenomenon, what would... What would you say? Oh, boy. Well,
1: there's, you know, I've spent, I've been out in the field investigating incidents since after the Kexford incident December 9th of 65, I've been out in the field since 1965. I've interviewed thousands and thousands of witnesses, I've seen a lot of physical evidence, um, and again, I've dealt with many types of anomalies. Uh, I've interviewed again, involved in investigating thousands of UFO cases. I've interviewed hundreds of Bigfoot witnesses in Pennsylvania. Multitudes of people have described other type of cryptid accounts, all kind of other phenomena. And when you talk to so many people from widespread areas, especially going back to the, the 60s and the 70s, when you didn't have cell phones and you didn't have the internet, and they had no way to communicate, and 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 again, I should tell you, for your listeners, uh, some of the more interesting part of some of my research background, um, I set up a hotline in 1969 for the public report sightings. That hotline is still active and is very busy all the time with reports coming in. So between phone reports and email reports, I get a lot of reports in. And um, in 1970, I founded the first of three volunteer research groups and um, we started out here in Greensburg, we moved into the Pittsburgh area, and by 1973, we had extended to cover the whole state of Pennsylvania. The groups were somewhat unique in that the majority of people involved were specialists. We had uh, many types of scientists, and engineers, and technicians, and police officers, and former military people, and all kind of people who donated their time to investigate these cases. We all did this around our full-time jobs. And um, I set up a pretty elaborate radio communication system, a two-way radio dispatch system, so we dispatched some of the investigators out to the scene. And um, so it was very lucky that uh, we were set up for 1973 when we had that massive outbreak, the biggest UFO and Bigfoot outbreak ever documented in history, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. And we were really surprised because we began to get referrals from across the state, from law enforcement, from the news media, and we were just pretty much overloaded with reports coming in all the time. And so for years and years, I had my research groups, and and, uh, so we were very, very active. I continue to be active as I can. Uh, Can't get out and do as much as I used to, but uh, still get out and interview people, and even though I don't have my my research group to such anymore. I still have contact with a lot of other researchers and groups out there, so if I'm not able to get out to some other researchers (laughs) who are well um, versed in the subject or very experienced researchers, he can go out and investigate cases as well.
0: Well, I was, uh, I was wondering if we couldn't go over the hairy hominids on the farm incident.
1: Okay. Well, I can sh- I sh- probably give your listeners a little bit of background before we get to that case about what was going on. So 1973 comes around. At first, we had the-, the longest UFO wave ever documented in Pennsylvania. Or anywhere in the country, as far as I know, it was, a- it was an amazing wave of hundreds and hundreds of UFO reports all year long. started January 1st, continued to the last day of the year. And uh, many of these were not just lights in the sky. We had numerous reports of large structured objects low to the ground. Uh, we had these objects hovering over highways, uh, following vehicles. We had landing reports or incidents on the turnpike. I mean, it was just an amazing time. And back at that time period, a lot of the local papers or the statewide papers, even some of the national media, were picking up a lot of these reports that were coming in. It was, a, it was quite a big deal. And we were just busy just trying to keep up with all these UFO sightings, which in itself was just amazing. And then the summer of 1973 comes around. And then we had the largest outbreak of Bigfoot sightings ever documented. That went on in 1974. And I can tell you, we've had very well-documented Bigfoot sightings reported every year since then. But anyhow, those cases were amazing. Many of those sightings... um, were very close range. When we're talking about very close range, we're talking five, 10, 15, 20 feet away from witnesses in some cases. Sometimes multiple creatures seen together. Many of these were in daylight, which is really intriguing. And in a lot of cases, there was some physical evidence at the scene. So my teams, uh, in many cases, we were on the scene within minutes, hours after they occurred. That's why we were able to document these cases so well. And, um, Anyhow, so all this was going on and you know, at that period of time, what I knew about Bigfoot, I had felt that Bigfoot was probably some type of unknown animal, some type of unknown primate that science was never able to verify existed. But as time went on with this massive outbreak, and we're getting reports again from People from widespread areas, they had no way of knowing what other people were talking about. Many of these people were calling the police or the news media and then referring over to our group to investigate. Uh, Some very strange things came to our attention. One of the first things was that we would get out to some of these locations, so we're looking all year round under different weather conditions, different ground conditions, even in the snow. We would have a series of these unusual footprints, these large tracks generally, that had quite a big stride between them that would go for this and then just abruptly stop and end when there should have been more tracks. There's no way in the conditions we found them that that could have been fabricated. And uh, that was the first thing we began to scratch our head over. Then some very strange reports began to come in from the general public. And you got to remember, that wasn't a big bigfoot wasn't a really big deal in the '70s, uh, like it is today. But anyhow, some of these people were very reluctant to tell us that they would see these huge hairy creatures even in daylight, that in some cases would physically vanish momentarily and reappear short distance away and then we began to see this very strange pattern we'd have a ufo sighting in a particular area within minutes to hours or days later we would have a bigfoot sighting or vice versa and then we began to get reports from widespread areas of ufos and bigfoot seen together at the same time and place so uh, in one of these cases i'll just tell you before we get to the one you want to talk about we very intriguing was an incident happened north of pittsburgh yeah, had two witnesses, uh, two uh, women who were out in the country waiting for a friend, and while they're there, they see this huge seven, eight-foot-tall, hair-covered Bigfoot with white hair running across the road. But in one of its hand, it was carrying a small glowing ball of light, and it continued running into the wooded area. And a short time later, this object came across the sky and projected a beam of light down into the woods where the creature was running to. That was one that we thought was very, very fascinating. So anyhow, among the many, many reports coming in, and as you mentioned, uh, I, these are really detailed a lot in my Solid Invasion book where you can get a lot more detail on this. But anyhow, so it's October 25, 1973. And I remember my, my hotline was very active during the 24-hour period. There were many UFO reports coming in from different areas across the state. But about 10.30 that night, I received a phone call from a state trooper from the state police barracks in Uniontown in Fayette County, which Fayette County continues to be probably one of the most active areas in the country for weird phenomena, for UFOs and Bigfoot sightings and cryptid reports. Anyhow, I got a call from the state trooper, and he had just come back from investigating this multiple witness UFO landing with some very strange elements to it. And he told me, he said, I think there's a good chance of something still up on the farm. Can you get one of your teams up here as soon as possible? Well, we're a distance away. It's already late at night, but we did. We got, we assembled our team. Uh, We've got our radios, our radiation meters, our other equipment together and found our way up there to Fayette County up to the area. And uh, we ended up spending uh, probably most of the night there, the early morning hours. And uh, it is, without a doubt, probably one of the strangest cases ever documented. It's been talked about all over the world for years and years. Um, I'll give you the brief part of the story. It's way too much involved to tell the whole story. It's in the Salvation Book, as you notice. But anyhow, what I found out was about 9 o'clock that night, he had about 15 people in this rural community who were observing this barn-sized red round object about 100 feet off the ground. kind of hovering and then slowly moving downward and um so this was in in a farming area taking place on a farm and um the farmer's son was coming out to visit his family and as he's riding down the farm road he sees the object in the sky and he sees all those people standing outside watching it so he decides um to go to a little better location where he can get a better look at this thing and it goes up to a neighbor's house, and they watch this thing. It looks like it's coming down, and it looks like it might land on his dad's pasture. So up at that uh, neighboring home, they had two young boys, and they decide the two boys and the, the the farmer's son decide they want to go up and see what this thing is. So they go over and they stop stop at his dad's farm first, and he and he, the son grabs a thirty odd six, and and a handful of ammunition. Within that ammunition, he had two tracer bullets. So when you fire those tracer bullets, you just get that luminous trail. Anyhow, as they're riding down the farm road, uh, animals, the dogs, are very, very upset. They're barking very loudly. They hear this high-pitched whining noise and these loud baby crying sounds. As they get closer and closer to the field, these sounds are all getting louder. Um, They angle their truck. Left their headlights on to see their path up the hill, and they noticed that it looked like something was draining the power from their headlights, which they had never seen before. Anyhow, as they walk up the hill, they finally make it up, and they're standing in there looking across the pasture, and they can't believe what they're seeing. So now here's this huge object that was coming down on the ground or right above it. So now it's not a complete sphere anymore. It's like half a sphere. It's a big white dome illuminating the area about 100 feet in diameter. And they're just standing there in amazement because they can't believe what they're seeing. So anyhow, they're they're watching this thing and their eyes are attracted to an area about 75 feet away. Along this barbed wire fence are these two huge hair covered creatures walking upright, moving slowly in their direction. So these are, are very typically what people describe as a Bigfoot, uh, the, one, the biggest one in front's about eight feet tall, the one right behind it, moving slowly along the fence line is about seven feet tall. These things are walking upright, uh, they're bipedal, they cover long dark matted um, brownish grayish hair hanging off the body, um, they have no neck, the eyes are large about the size of 50 cent piece and they're glowing brilliant green. And the arms are so long, they're hanging down below the knees, almost down to the feet. And the one young boy seeing this became so frightened, he ran out of the field. The other the other brother starts yelling at the older fella, shoot him, shoot him. And he fires his first shot, which he fires a shot over their head as though to scare him away. His first shot turned out to be a tracer bullet. So he just had that luminous trail. He fires his second shot. That second shot was a second tracer, but... Something very interesting took place. When he fired that second tracer, the largest of the two creatures made that loud, whining, crying noise, reached out as though to grab at that tracer. And the moment it did that, that huge, luminous object in the field vanished and was gone. It didn't take off, it didn't accelerate, it just disappeared. Most of the luminosity went away, the loud, whining noise stopped. The creatures turn around, start walking back slowly along the fence line towards the woods. At that point, the fellow has his uh, odd 6 loaded, he's firing live ammo into the creatures, and there was apparently no effect on them whatsoever. Um, They went back to the truck, went back to the farmhouse, told the family what happened, went to a neighbor's called the state police. When the troop arrived 45 minutes later, uh, they went up in the troop car looking for evidence, and the trooper told me he said the area where the object was on the ground was self-luminescent and glowing about 100 feet or more in diameter he said he noticed uh, the farm animals wouldn't go into that area he shined his flashlight he said he could barely see the beam but he said he thought if he had a newspaper if he sat down within that glowing area he could have read a newspaper from the glow coming off the area uh they searched there for a short time then they went back to the barracks and I was told they, both the trooper and the witness were separately interviewed in two separate rooms. Then they called me to send my team up that night. That's just a part of the story. I can tell you, when we arrived on the scene, it took a while to get there, um, the glow was no longer glowing. The radiation levels were just normal background radiation. Um, the story got stranger and stranger through the night. And I can just tell you, it was a very well-documented case. There was a lot of investigation on that case. And um, I have no doubt that something definitely happened after that night. And that was just one of numerous other very bizarre incidents that began to happen in the weeks ahead. And um, then we had that case that happened only miles from there in February 6th of 1974 uh, up in Fayette County, way up in the mountains. And that was the case uh, among others, well, that was the case in particular, but there were other cases that we had been looking into and others would turn on uh, down the road and come to our attention that we were dealing with something that was not a normal flesh and blood animal. And I've, I've noticed now over since that time and over the years in many cases I've been involved with, and I started writing about this back in the 70s, that we're dealing with a phenomenon, whatever it might be, that has a physical and a non-physical component to it. For a lack of a better term, I'll say maybe interdimensional. So when you hear these stories about Bigfoot and UFOs seen together, I am not suggesting that these are that Bigfoot is a passenger in a spaceship for another planet or extraterrestrial. We don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know for sure what these objects really are. All we know is there's something very unusual, and they appear to be well beyond the scientific uh, capabilities that we understand right now. Uh, do you want me to tell you about this case from
0: February 74? Oh, absolutely, if you'd like to go into that. Okay, so I, I remember that case very well, also.
1: Um, February 6, 1974. Um, some of your listeners will remember the time period because of what was taking place. There was a big national trucker strike across the country. There was gas rationing, everybody remembers that, it was around at the time. There was a lot of violence across the country and on the highways around here in Pennsylvania. So you had the National Guard and the state police patrolling together. You had some members of both units to respond to this case. I could not get up to the scene early the next morning. I couldn't get gas in my hometown. Uh, anyhow, here's what I learned. So here's this woman who lived in this little cabin home. She's lived in the woods all her life. She knew animals very well. She was a very good shot. Pretty much not afraid of anything. It was a normal night for her. She was sitting there on her chair watching television when she began to hear uh, this commotion on her front, her small front porch on the, uh, of the cabin home. She had some soda cans, some pop cans out there, and something was moving the pop cans around. So she thought, well, two, three weeks before, she remembered she had a pack of wild dogs coming through, and she thought, I bet those wild dogs are back. So I'll just grab my my 16 gauge double barrel shotgun and I'll load one chamber and I'll fire over their head to scare those dogs away, which is what she ended up doing. So she loads her uh, shotgun, she proceeds to walk up towards the front door, she opens up the door, turns on the switch, steps out, but there's no dogs. But about six feet in front of her is this huge seven foot tall, hair covered Bigfoot that raises arms up over its head the moment she turned the light on. How does she react? She pulls the trigger and fires right into it. She said, there's this bright burst of light like a flash on a camera and that huge hair covered creature vanishes and disappears right in front of her. And interestingly, her, her in-laws lived a hundred feet away and they heard the gunshot and they car and asked her what she was shooting at and she told them the story and um, Her son-in-law grabbed his pistol aside and started walking down that dark road. And at some point, um, he reportedly saw, I believe it was four or five hairy people with eyes like coals of fire, started shooting and randomly ran into the cabin home. And it was around that time they see this large glowing object, like a big Christmas ornament, they said, hovering over the woods at the same time. That's when they called the state police. And uh, it took, I later interviewed the, the primary investigator, and he said it took them quite a while, way up in those mountains, to find the location. By the time they got there, everything was over. However, he said, something very strange happened up there. That he based on the animal reactions of what was going on when they arrived at the scene. And that's just very common, by the way, what he described. There are many, many, especially Bigfoot incidents. I find that many, even very ferocious, large dogs, when they're very close to these creatures, they're just, like, paralyzed. They don't bark. They shake. They cower. They'll lie on the ground. They'll move their eyes around. Sometimes they don't eat right for a day or two later. Uh, very, very common. And the trooper told me, so when he got see, and they had several big dogs. They had other animals there. Horses weren't acting right. The dogs would not bark or make a sound. I remember tell- him telling me, he said, I think it was one large dog. It may have been, it may have been a Eskimo Spitz, a German Shepherd, I'm not sure, and the dog wouldn't move, and he opened the cage and tried to pull the dog out, and the dog wouldn't even move or respond. Now, when I got up there early the next morning with the team, all the dogs were barking. They welcomed us just like a normal farm, but apparently that's not what happened the night before. Uh, he said the witnesses were credible. They were, vis- they were very visibly shaken and frightened when he arrived on the scene, and... Um, Something odd had happened up there. That was the case that convinced me that uh, we're dealing with something that has a physical and a non-physical component to it. And there are many, many other cases we have now over the years of witnesses I've interviewed who have had Bigfoot encounters. And most of these people would never have believed these things even exist. They were reluctant to talk about it. Many of them had never seen anything before. They heard stories they used to laugh at them. But so many people I've interviewed – uh, had life changing experiences dealing with Bigfoot, uh, other cryptid cases, and and with many close range, low level sightings. So, been very interesting. Uh, the many many people I've talked to and what they've told me.
0: Well, yeah, in that case specifically, like that brings a little more credibility to it because not only are they firing off shots, but they're afraid enough to call the police afterward. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and back in
1: those days, a lot of people did because they didn't know what to do. And they were experiencing something that they had no explanation for, and they were and they were physically shaken. I mean, I can tell you, I, I was out in numerous cases and on the scene, especially during that wave of '73. I mean, we were on the scene within minutes to hours, and you go up and see grown men with loaded weapons in their hands, physically shaking, you know, and having tears coming out of their eyes. I, I can remember at least two cases where uh, one or two cases were. They actually made us stand there with the police and our team and made us wait there till they had got some clothes and they left their, left, left their home for a short time because they were too afraid to stay there. That's the kind of reaction you saw. And you asked me earlier, you know, what evidence you've seen over the years. Well, I can tell you one. Yes, we've seen a lot of interesting physical evidence, a lot of it similar over many years over widespread areas, especially footprints. Um, when you interview so many people, and you get there right after it happens, and you see the emotional reaction, you, you see how they respond, you listen for those details, the small details these people give me. You see the animal reactions. You see the patterns forming. That's what's convincing when you got so much data coming in.
0: Yeah, and that's much how I view like the alien abduction phenomenon, because that's mainly what my podcast is about. You see the commonalities that keep occurring when you know this person has no interest in the phenomenon yet you see it keep coming up again and again and again and again yeah
1: and um you know and again i'm not sure i don't deal a lot with these cases like i used to mainly because we're not hearing about them like we used to back in the 60s and 70s there was a lot of missing time case that led to abduction case i don't know if you knew it i was one of the first researchers probably in the country to do a lot of investigation uh with those cases in pennsylvania and uh yeah well i a long time and i worked on hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of cases since then but um some of those cases are very intriguing and uh again these people came from all walks of life from all different age groups and uh, to a lot of those people whatever happened to them was a life-changing experience I could not say that, yes, these people were abducted and taken aboard a spacecraft on another planet, but I can tell you this, something happened to some of these people that changed their lives forever. And uh, it's a lot more involved than just that. And this is uh, something else that's turned up with some of my research over the years, and I don't know how it correlates with what, what you've looked into at abduction cases. Um, a lot of the people that I interviewed years ago uh, in many cases, things happened when they were very young children, maybe four, five, six years old, uh, just approximately in that period of time, and um, and they had time periods, and then sometimes there was more than one person involved. Um, some of these people were able to give very detailed accounts of what they saw, what they remember, and in some cases, there was missing time, and they couldn't remember. But um, that's real intriguing. But here's something even a little more complex. I know how it involves what you've done your studies on with abduction cases. But one, you know, we're, we're talking about Bigfoot sightings, UFOs, all these strange things I've been involved with. And for a lot of people, it's a, it was a one-time experience. They were in the right place at the right time. But there's another category. There's a whole series of people, and I do with these people all the time, and once again, Many of them are very credible. Many of them hold very good positions. Uh, They don't want any publicity, most of them. Uh, In a lot of cases, I found out that these people had experiences going back from the time they were very young. And and I'll give you an example. There's there's one person I'm still in touch with today, and this is now, oh my God, I've lost track. Maybe I've been involved with this person now, knowing of her experiences probably over 45 years, maybe longer than that and um, she was a young girl that was missing at the time. There was apparently a, a, quite a search for her. They found her standing in the middle of the field. She said she had been there the whole time. She had no idea what was going on. From the time she was little, she had all kind of paranormal experiences. She had missing time again. She had was uh, apparitions and ghostly things in her home. As she got older over the years, she had UFO sightings. She had Bigfoot encounters other kind of strange phenomena going on. Later, her children began to have these experiences and now her grandchildren. And some of these people have gone back into their their grandparents. It's something that they've talked about in different generations of their family. And I'm finding this more and more. And so some of these people, throughout their lives, they have these experiences, these encounters, and sometimes they have other people with them that can confirm the reports. So I don't know how that deals with what you've
0: uh, been involved with. Oh, it deals greatly with it. Um, Pretty much the stuff I talk about on my podcast, you just went over and covered. It, it just correlates, like I said, I've gone over it in my podcast where it's usually at very young age, four or five years old, that's when these incidents begin. And then over time, people start to either, now, in some cases, people realize right away Something odd's happened and they remember it, even some of their childhood experiences like Dr. Carla Turner. Other times, it takes people some time to get to that point. But, needless to say, they come across the fact that, yeah, it's happened to me before. I remember this very odd experience and it just makes sense now. I didn't know what to make of it before. I was in one place for a second, appeared in another with a bloody nose, and an hour had passed.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's intriguing. It, it really is. And again, yeah, uh, you know, I remember uh, there was one case I was only indirectly involved with some of the other researchers in my group from another area were investigating this case, but I did get up to interview the witness and this was uh, this was back in the 60s. Um, this is um, outside the Pittsburgh area, in a rural area. And, and for one of, what I remember was is this younger fellow at the time, I lived out in the country, and he began to wake up or had the feeling be awakened during the night that he had to go out into the woods. And I'm sure you heard this many times that people sometimes are just awakened or they have the feeling that they have to go out and, and do something or go somewhere and do something. And um, supposedly he was on occasion, he would go aboard this craft and have various type of uh, physical experimentations done on him. And anyhow, the, the one thing that kind of stood out to me back in those that time period was i interviewed him he was talking about these small creatures and what they look like and he said to me he said the best way to describe me said they look like a pillsbury doughboy and i always thought that was a really good um way to describe them then years after that we heard about the grays
0: wow that's that's actually very descriptive (laughs) that puts a very clear image in people's heads um Never yeah, heard him described enough. as Pillsbury Doughboy, but like you said, that's very descriptive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it was
1: a lot of intriguing cases, but I, you know, I've been involved with, again, many, many cases. And, and let me tell you this again, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier in our program or not, but I've always looked for explanations for incidents before I'll say there's something unusual. So it is very common that many UFO, UAP sightings, even current ones, when you take time to properly investigate, many are determined to be misidentifications. They're misidentification of natural or man made objects. So we can get that out of the way, and even Bigfoot. There's misidentification of Bigfoot with huge, shaggy dogs, and uh, bear, and hunters, and camouflage outfits, things like that. But every year, we're getting very detailed reports of incidents you could not dismiss. I mean, we had some very detailed daylight Bigfoot encounters last year in Pennsylvania. Multitude of UFO cases, and most interestingly, those small balls of light low of the ground, or orbs of light. Uh, we had—I've never seen the amount of activity of these reports like we did last year, and that is very significant, whatever that is. And I think you may have read that on the report I just sent to you, which your listeners can go to my website and read the whole report.
0: Well, see, you bring up a a very good point, and. I, th- I think it's important for my audience to get this because I've been pushing this a lot lately. When it comes to critical thinking as far as trying to debunk this kind of stuff, because I feel as if in order to figure something out, whether it's, let's, let's take the UFO phenomena. I just did a report on a video of a guy who was allegedly abducted in 2020 caught on camera. And it was obviously a man walking out of his house, the camera glitched, and then a moth flew into into frame. It was caught on a security camera. The man came out and said that on, I think it was Inside Edition, and I started going over the comments of this video, and man, people were just buying right into it. Now, they ignored the fact that the man actually came out and said, like, hey, nothing actually happened here. I wasn't abducted by aliens, I didn't turn to a ball of light, you can see it glitch. People were just denying that simple fact. I think there's a need for the critical thinking that, and the investigation work that you put in. So, could you give my listeners some advice on that, as far as, like, critical investigation? Well,
1: again, each case is different, you know, it... It was a lot of different years ago and there's a lot of things that we can do now technologically we didn't have access to before um, so now it's much easier to uh, figure out exactly you know what what star system rather rather what constellation you know what planet people were reporting at the time what they're seeing is any correlation we can check pretty quickly for any type of reports of a uh, big meteor uh, Reports coming in over areas. Uh, have, has was there an aircraft in the area at the time? You saw these strange lights over the area. You can track that down very easily. Uh, weather phenomenon. I'm very uh, involved with weather uh, cases and weather phenomena, and you'd be, be surprised uh, some of the strange things that meteorologically occur that people report as UFOs. And uh, so we have light pillars sometimes in the winter time, and you got. Uh, Sun dogs and you got all kinds of things that uh, look unusual people report in but there's explanations for so that's always been the point You, you want to eliminate what you can before you look at the good hard data of the unexplained phenomena and again a lot of things are explainable. I mean, generally, for example, you can always count on every year during the 4th of July, you're going to get a lot of reports of orange bright lights moving through the sky, which is very common because a lot of people launch uh, skylanders at that time. So that's not uncommon. But uh, you've got to look each case one-on-one. Whether Again, whether it's a UFO, whether it's a Bigfoot or another cryptid case, uh, there's sometimes explanations, but there are so many detailed cases I've investigated that are very, very hard to explain away. And, I, I
0: mean, I can give you some example, of a few of those as well if you're interested. Oh, Absolutely. Okay, well, there's multitudes of I them. Mean, you go to my website, there's
1: a lot of these cases, some of the articles I've written over the years, and there's a lot of things we won't have time to talk about today. Um, one case that kind of stands out was uh, September 3rd, 1987, going back a ways. This was on a major highway here in Westmoreland County in western Pennsylvania, near what was then the Green Gate Mall. So it's a four lane highway with lots of traffic. It was early that evening when he had multiple witnesses, including law enforcement, they observed this huge, solid, maybe 300-foot-long, metallic, cigar, kind of cigar-shaped object with multiple lights on it, completely silent, about 300 feet off the ground, moving along the high-tension power lines. And it moved across the power, high-tension power lines, this huge object, went across the highway. When you go across the highway, it moved over top of the power substation. At that time, this huge solid object turns vertical in the sky, and when it does, all the power in the area goes out, including in the mall. And um, now the power did come back up. It was a very short power outage, but it happened. And then some of the power in the area behind the mall where the theaters were, it remained out. And when the engineers went there to investigate, I was told that all three of the master fuse in that circuit were blown, which is something that's extremely highly unusual. And um, there was a lot of investigation done on that case. So that that's just one example. Uh, June first, 2013, I believe that's the correct date, uh, on uh, the other end of Route 30 in North Huntington. So you have a, a woman and her three-year-old child, and a woman with a— non-UFO believer, I can tell you until after this happened. And they're coming out of a store, and they're heading eastbound on Route 30. And this woman tells me, she said, I had to break right in the middle of the four-lane road. There's no cars anywhere near me. They're all way ahead of me or way behind me because there's this huge metallic object about 60 feet away hovering right over top of the highway taking up all four lanes of the highway. She said it looked like the gondola of a blimp without the blimp. So it's a large metallic rectangular object with several rows of lights, completely silent, and her three-year-old child yells, Mommy, flying iPad in the sky. And she was on the cell phone at the time and she had to go underneath the object. When she did, she lost her cell phone signal. Um, She noticed all the uh, digital indicators on the dash of the vehicle went out. She lost her FM radio signal. Uh, She tried to take a picture with her cell phone, but it would not let her go into the photo mode. But as she moved down the road, all the electronics came back on. That's just an example. We have many cases over the years of objects being close to vehicles with different type of electromagnetic effects involved as well. And uh, that brings up another point. And there is many, many things that I've dealt with with Bigfoot and with Krypton now, mainly Bigfoot where I found a lot of data. That's my new book, Creepy Cryptids, gets into quite a bit. And some of the very strange aspects of of Bigfoot that many people have never heard about. For example, we just talked about an incident uh, with electromagnetic effects with power loss in in the vehicle when a person moved underneath the object. Uh, There was a loss, not of power in that case, but of... Uh, electronic equipment. We've had other cases of objects that have paced vehicles or hovered nearby and the tower and the vehicle lost power, the headlights went down, the object departed, power came back on over the years. But anyhow, there's also incidents, and there are very few, but around the country, and I've investigated some in Pennsylvania, where, pe- where people reported seeing a large, huge, hair-covered Bigfoot come very close to a vehicle, and when they were near the vehicle, when the creature was near the vehicle, the vehicle lost power. When the creature ran off, the power came back on. That's a wet example that many people have never heard about.
0: And what do you make of that, Stan? Do you think that's like electromagnetic effects or something that draws in some form of power? or yeah. what, what do you make of that?
1: Well, there, again, there's a lot of questions that we don't have the answers for. Here's the pattern I found years ago. Many low-level, close-range UFO encounters and many encounters with Bigfoot and other cryptids commonly occur in the vicinity of high-energy sources. So you have many incidents around high-tension power lines, power plants, bodies of water, railroad tracks, gas lines, gas wells, radio communication towers, cell phone towers, etc. There's definitely an energy connection to whatever we're dealing with.
0: Do you think that would, I know these are a lot of just, it's more speculative questioning, but you think that accounts for maybe this whirling or swirling spinning noise that people hear when it comes to being in close coordinates to a UFO?
1: Well, I can tell you, there, there's, uh, most cases with UFOs, there's no sound. In some other cases, they do hear like a whirling sound or a high-pitched sound, but that's not that common. Many, many, even close-range, low-level UFO incidents, there's no sound at all. So there's some variation there. Just like with Bigfoot, you know, people talk about, oh, there's this terrible odor every time people see a Bigfoot close by. That's not true. There are many, many cases we have, even in the last year, and where people were very close to these creatures, there was no smell whatsoever. So there's a lot of things you hear out there, but the data shows that's not always exactly what occurs. I have had some cases where... I had the one case now uh, several years ago where the woman, this was down around West Newton, PA, uh, where there have been sightings for years going back to at least uh, uh, the 60s, late 60s, some cases, if I recall. And uh, she was riding, and this lady was a person who did not believe in Bigfoot, didn't watch anything about Bigfoot on TV. The last thing she ever thought about, she's riding down the road. She just came home with uh, visiting some friends riding down this road of parallels along the river. And as she's coming down the road, she sees ahead of her this tall figure coming from the right side, c- coming up the hill towards the road where she's going to pass. So she slows down, and when she gets up there, she is shocked. Here's this huge, around 7-foot tall, hair-covered, big foot with glowing red eyes that bent over and looked right at her through the pasture window right into her face. And she said she'd never sped away so fast in her life. She went home and caught a relative right away and told her what happened. And then later, they shared that with me, and I went down to the scene where it happened with them uh, several weeks later, I believe it was. Now, I, I've had many other cases where these things were very close to vehicles, you know, looked right directly at witnesses. So a really detailed case, even in recent years.
0: Stan, do you want to go into some of your newer cases from this year?
1: Oh, yeah, there's there are so many. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these are just really, really intriguing reports. Um, I'll just give you a few examples. Um, let's see. So we can go back to uh, I talk let's talk about uh, some of these small sphere reports because I think they're really important. these these small objects, these are not ball lightning cases, <laughs> completely different type of incidents. Uh, the cases when these were occurring, there was no weather conditions like that. It's a much more detailed report. So here's one from uh, Fayette County. This is one of my research associates, Jim Brown, who's a very high-tech guy with a lot of good instrumentation. And he got on the scene, I believe, within the hour after this occurred. This was April 6th of this year. This is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So once again, not at night. He's, the man in the white, they're out in the field digging. They're working in the yard. And um, as they're out there, they notice about 50 feet away, they notice this silver circular object about two feet in diameter um, slowly drifting in their direction. Well, their first thought was it must be a mylar balloon. But as this thing gets closer and closer, they realize that's not the case. And as it's very close to them, suddenly um, there's like a small explosion. And they said it was like a small lightning bolt that shot uh, from the object uh, to the ground, and it sounded. It sounded like a small firecracker followed by like a snap, like a spark, and the spark started a small fire in the field that they immediately put out. They also noticed about a hundred feet away along the path where it came, there was another small fire that they put out as well. So they got a hold of Jim Brown. He got out there, and he was. He thought, well, if it's a mylar balloon or it's a firecracker, there's going to be residue all over the place. He was amazed. There was nothing there absolutely no type of residue whatsoever and he couldn't find any good explanation uh for the case you can read the whole report uh on my website as well so that that was a kind of interesting report and there was variations of these other small uh, orb reports uh, all year. Another interesting case came in from Tioga County. This is way up northern PA, and what they call the Black Forest region of Pennsylvania, which has a lot of history of strange things going on. But this just occurred this past mid-June. And uh, this fellow awakened waking around 1 o'clock in the morning, we walked in the kitchen, had to look out the window to his well-lit driveway that I believe was about 12, 15 feet away from him. And His car is parked in the driveway, and he notices this unusual object that's on the ground. Um, It's about a foot from the parked car, and he said this thing was round, solid-looking, kind of beige or white in color, but the size of a basketball, and it had a surface like polished wood. But he said it appeared to be luminous but not really bright and did not reflect any light, which, by the way, is very common with many of these close-up small, ball of light reports or orb reports, some people call them. But it was even stranger because it had some very unusual protuberances from it. For example, there's a sketch he drew on the, on the report I just put out, and he said it was like a long, flat wing, like a plank running through it, kind of extended like from the back to the front section, and the opposite side, there were these spikes sticking out going to the back. So we're not sure what that was. It did not move. He did not hear any sound. But as the year went on, and multiple reports had coming in from across the state of people, seeing these spheres of light, some came up very close to people, uh, some security cameras videotaped some of these orbs coming close to people. But um, what was really interesting were a couple reports um, in October of this year, or last year, excuse me, Anyhow, the one case Jim Brown investigated, uh, this was October the 6th, October the 8th, I believe it was, yeah, and um, anyhow, this fellow had got up around 6 o'clock in the morning, it was cold outside in the 40s, he had his pajamas on, his slippers, decided to go out and get the early morning paper, so apparently he started walking out to the, pa- to the paper box about fifty feet away from him. He goes out on the porch starts walking towards it and he says he sees this glowing white ball of light. He says it's at eye level, it's about ten or twelve inches in diameter between him and the paper box. And then all he remembered was he got very, very tired all of a sudden. And Interestingly, his wife wakes up around seven o'clock looking for him in bed and she can't find. She looks outside and there her husband is sound asleep on the porch in his pajamas, in the slippers, in that real cold weather. And he couldn't remember what happened that much, except he remembered later that that object was making like small circular motions and he got so tired right as he saw it, he had to go to sleep. So that's an interesting detail because three days later... Uh, I'm on the Laurel Highlands, so this is right near the Chestnut Ridge, which also has a lot of activity. So here's this woman, around 2.30 in the morning, who's awakened uh, to go into the restroom. She comes out and about five feet away in her living room, which there was an old house that has very high ceilings. She sees this deep blue-colored sphere, about a foot and a half in diameter, hovering there in the room. She said, inside of this sphere, she sees like a gray swirling mess that looked like, a, like one of those old lava lamps. It's completely silent, slightly moving up and down. She recalled taking one step towards it. Then she felt, she said, like a slight tingling sensation, remind her of like a pre of electricity when she was near an electric fence. She said, the strange object for about 10 seconds, she looking at it and suddenly became very, very sleepy. She immediately went into the bedroom and went to sleep, but she said the next day when she woke up, she was very groggy, very sluggish, and she said, that was completely unlike me to fall asleep like that because she's an insomniac. She said, I could never fall asleep like that. She had no explanation for it. So you had two cases within days where people were within feet of these small spheres, and they both had the physiological effect of getting very tired, and I thought that was very intriguing
0: that's extremely intriguing. Um, I'm also seeing a case from March 19, 2022, in a wooded area where there were beams of light and also small balls of light. Yeah, there's. Um, you're probably talking about was that March? Um, March 19th is that the part up in Potter County?
1: Yes. Is that okay? Because the uh, the other with some of the other cases are even more interesting uh and i'm trying to think of one going back probably into i think it was april yeah we we're getting scattered reports from widespread areas but of, of people in the wooded areas hearing sounds hearing screams in some areas and seeing these small spheres of light but what was really interesting was april 16th so this is an area up in the faya county area and this is kind of a more recent one the last year or so that they're calling area x It's on private property. They're not disclosing location. Um, It's an area that's had a lot of history of paranormal phenomena, Bigfoot sightings, strange lights, other weird things going on. It's similar to some of the skinwalker activity, which is what basically I was investigating back in the 70s. You know, long before you hear about Skinwalker Ranch. And now all over the country, you're hearing of other locations that are having similar type of activity going on. So this was very, very interesting. But anyhow, April 16th, you had a team up there of investigators that were investigating reports of um, strange screams and Bigfoot activity up around Area X. And they were in there, and they were into two different teams, as I remember that night. I believe that's what it was. But anyhow, there were a number of very experienced Bigfoot researchers up there. And they, they had observed... Um, Let's see, they had observed um, some strange lights and bright flashes of light, and they had heard some loud howls and screams and somebody having walking. But as the evening went on, they began to report from different areas in the woods of these small spheres of light of different colors coming out of the woods, and in some cases coming up with feet of some of these people. And I can tell you, from what I was not there, but what I heard, I interviewed some of them, this was something that was just uh, very, in some cases, very terrifying to what they saw. Now, some of these fellas uh, knew me years ago, and I talk about these balls of light, and I think they were skeptical. And I'm telling you, after that night, uh, I think some of those lives were definitely changed, and now they knew... That there was this type of phenomenon was actually for real, and interestingly, yet Seth Breedlove was there that night for Small Town Monsters, filming uh, some of the things that were going on in Area X, and he was able apparently to record some of this activity from that night. So um, it was a really intriguing uh, situation up there, for what I was told.
0: I mean, that's I. I'm not too familiar with cryptids all that much but that's a lot of evidence going on right there i mean that's a lot to take in <laughs> well there's there's so much you know i deal with all
1: kind of strange creature sightings and i think you said you've, you've got my new book creepy cryptids and there's from the huge giant thunderbird sightings which we've had again this year these huge flying creatures with like a 10 to 20 foot wingspan have been seen for years and years of Pennsylvania, to the out-of-place Black Panther reports, which are very interesting. They're continuing uh, several reports last year, which are on the report on my website now. Uh, there's a number of reports in there in the Creepy Cryptids book. But when we talk about Black Panthers, we're talking about an animal people generally think of, a Black Leopard or Black Jaguar, not common in this part of the world. They've been recording them around here in Pennsylvania and many other parts of the country where they are not supposed to exist. But interestingly, I have found some similarities and some correlation, believe it or not, between some of the Black Panther phenomena and some of these strange areas where recurring activity and the Bigfoot activity. And what I found years ago was that sometimes when you have a local outbreak in a certain area where various phenomena is occurring, Paranormal stuff, Bigfoot UFOs, you have more than one cryptid. So, again, when we talk about a cryptid, we're talking about creatures that science has never confirmed or something now. In this case, we're talking about an out-of-place animal, an animal that is not supposed to exist in this part of the world. So sometimes when you have a Bigfoot outbreak, you'll have another outbreak of other type of strange creature, and Black Panthers has been something that's been pretty common. And, you know, we talked about these cases of a Bigfoot and, and a Bigfoot uh, physically appearing and disappearing. The woman shooting at disappeared in a flash of light. Uh, the UFO connection, whatever it is, we don't know what it is, but there's some correlation between the balls of light and some UFO reports and, and Bigfoot sightings. We don't know what we're dealing with. I don't think anybody does. It's very complicated. Again, for a lack of a better term, I think we're doing something that well may be interdimensional. It's physical and non-physical both, but here's the intriguing case I had years ago with a Black Panther, and you'll see the correlation here. Um, this is February 1983, way, way up in the mountains. Early morning hours, his fellow is coming home, his car's overheating. Pulls into the driveway, um, goes in the garage to get a can of antifreeze. He comes back out, starts putting antifreeze in the car. A few minutes later, he hears this loud growl behind him, and he turns around to look. Here's this pretty large house cat that's sitting there growling at him. and. He didn't think much of it, because there's cats out in that area. So he goes back to putting more antifreeze in the car. A few minutes later, he hears this louder growl, and he turns around to look, and now he's shocked because that large house cat has physically grown to twice its size, and is growling fiercely at him. And he throws the can of antifreeze at it, and it the then growls and turns around slowly, and starts walking out the door, uh, up the up the drive outside where it's well illuminated. At that point, he runs to his garage to grab his pistol. And he said he came out a short time later, and now that that very large cat, he said, now it looks like an animal I saw in the zoo, like a big black panther, completely solid black with a long tail. It has glowing yellow eyes, and it's growling at me. And he said, I took a shot at it. I don't know if I hit it, but moments later, it physically vanished and was gone, and he never saw it again. Hmm.
0: That's a fascinating case. Wow.
1: Well, yeah, and and I hear many cases similar. And, again, it, it's not just cases I've been working on, but over the years and more recent years now, a lot of these things we're talking about, more and more researchers all around the country are talking about similar cases they're coming involved with. Uh, there's been several other books out now talking about similar types of events all over the country. So whatever is going on now, it's escalating more and more. At least it's coming to more people's attention.
0: So, there's another incident that I have written down here from one of your newest reports. And that one's from Indiana County on September 22nd. uh, Of a woman looking outside to see two three-foot-tall humanoid-like figures, a few inches apart, or... Few feet apart, one behind the other, floating.
1: Yeah, there, the were, there were witnesses up in that area, and then again, that this area, Indiana County, is, is that a lot of these areas are not far from the Chestnut Ridge. So, Westmoreland Pitt in Indiana County, a lot of reports of different things, and many people have seen things like this. And yeah, this is kind of interesting because the witnesses I talked to the one witness, they looked out the window. And they said they saw these two about three foot tall, humanoid like shapes. They were pure white, he said. They could not see any arms or legs. He drew me a sketch of it, actually. And he said they were a few feet apart, one behind the other, and floating very low along the side of the road. They only saw them for about 15 seconds when they suddenly vanished and they're gone. And which is, you hear this from so many cases of. Uh, various cryptids i mean i've had bigfoot witnesses said it's like watching a uh, a movie and they said this thing suddenly appeared out of nowhere they see it from head to toe and it's gone and um i've had other cases over the years of people seeing various type of entities that are floating or gliding above the ground including cases with like bigfoot type creatures where they're seeing something very large, kind of stooped over, very broad-shouldered, and it moves so fast, it looks like it's gliding rather than running. And once again, these are things that a lot of people don't hear about, that people are reporting.
0: I mean, and yeah, you even get that sometimes with the UFO phenomenon. It's the same thing, where they might be gliding, sometimes it's a luminescent being. um I've heard that quite a bit, actually.
1: Yeah. Well, with UFOs, you know, look at the similarity. And again, something a lot of people may not be aware of. You hear reports of, for example, we've had a lot of reports in the last year, last couple of years in daylight of large, solid, cigar-shaped objects in the beautiful skies that just suddenly people say they're watching them and suddenly they're just gone. They just disappeared. They don't accelerate and move off. They're just gone. And I've had many cases i over the years of large, solid structure objects in the beautiful sky that begin to slowly fade away and disappear. Or in some cases, they physically change from one form into another. And then we have a lot of reports of these objects entering clouds and never coming out of the clouds or the strange cloud formations that they enter. And then the clouds change, change color sometimes and disappear. There is so much more to these all of these anomalies
0: that most people are aware of yeah I mean it's quite startling actually you like I said that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because you're very thorough with your research and you know a ton
1: and, and I, I'll tell you something that you might find interesting in in your research uh, about missing time alleged abduction cases things like this I don't know if you ever were aware of this or not but Back in the 60s, um, there was something going on before you heard the reports of these small little humanoids, graves, or whatever people reporting. But the scenario was in the 60s, early 60s, and we had some case here in Pennsylvania where you had these large solid objects landed on the ground. And, local, and sometimes local people uh, came across these objects and the passengers, they said, were very human like. I mean, uh, five, six feet tall. They said they could pass them on the street. And they were told that they were having technical propulsion problems. They were invited aboard the craft to look around, and then they were gone. I don't recall any missing time events i don't think there was any but there was similarities in those type of reports and then later you began to hear of these other cases of landings and missing time and people being uh, examined but there was a little different scenario in there for a while for whatever reason
0: well see i personally have always chalked that up to because that's more your contactee cases right blonde-haired blue-eyed nordic people
1: well, in these cases, they weren't blondes. Now, yes, I've heard those reports, too. These were not. These were not those type of reports.
0: Oh, well, that's interesting. I've always considered... So, like, our blonde hair. Let's go over the Nordics, like how I view this. There's differences in the way that it's treated. So, when a person's abducted it's usually very clinical they're just taken but that's not always the case with abductionist scenarios in fact sometimes a person will go quite willingly with them and when a person is abducted oftentimes they have this this um what is the term i'm thinking of here this message of peace almost like you're destroying the world put the nuclear bombs down things like that we see that with like the rua zimbabwe case and in 1996 with the children who saw the ufos and the aliens for lack of a better term you keep finding that same trend even back then with the contactee cases not all of those were factual i mean some people made them up but not all of them were made up so i find that to be an interesting correlation and i don't know the altered perception part that i come up with Is maybe it is the same beings, but they can alter your perception to make you see something benevolent, I guess would be the term. Kind of like Betty and Barney Hill. When he was first, he first looked up at the UFO with the binoculars, he saw a Nazi. Later to find out during his regression that in fact it wasn't a Nazi. And behind that he saw an Irishman. Again, also to find out that that was not an Irishman. They just looked very weird. But to him, that presents a kind of authority figure, because it was around that time. And the Irish, I've gone over this before, but back then, according to Barney Hill during his regression, the Irish were always kind of violent to African Americans. So he wanted to present a more friendly kind of thing so i long-winded you know kind of messed up way of going about this but that's that's kind of how i've always looked at it well i can just tell
1: you again the more we know about these various anomalies going on and these type of strange engines for years and years the stranger it is and um one thing I, I've, I've kind of questioned over the years, talking to so many people who have experience of something like you're talking about, is that is it possible that certain people have certain abilities, they're able to perceive various phenomena that others can't, or is it that they have certain abilities that the phenomena is attracted to them?
0: You know, I, I think that's very possible. Um, you know, you hear about, contact with some of these beings. It's not usually verbal with your mouth. It's more telepathy. I i don't know. I'm kind of torn on it, but you find a lot of that.
1: Well, you know, I've, I've heard those kind of reports, but now getting back to the Bigfoot stuff, and you know, I told you I, I have uncovered a lot of very strange elements to the Bigfoot phenomena. So here's something you just brought up, because it's something Rarely, rarely reported here in Pennsylvania, more common, I guess, in the southern part of the country and other parts of the country. But there are some people and some witnesses who claim that Bigfoot attempted to have some type of telepathic communication with him. Well, here's here's an interesting one, because I was a witness to this, and I can verify this one. This was back, and, and again, I told you, I've never seen UFO or Bigfoot. That's not the case here. I was there when this interaction took place with a witness. This was back in the 1980s uh, along the Chestnut Ridge. Uh, I got called out by some of the, rel- the people living in that area along the base of the ridge because as Bigfoot reportedly was coming down from the mountain, coming down a lot of their property, scaring their animals. And I went out to interview a group of those people. We had a team out there, and we were interviewing these people. One of these people said very reluctantly that they felt that this creature was mentally trying to communicate with them at times. While we were there, this person said, This creature is telling me that tomorrow morning, the next morning... About 15 miles away, over this little town in Indiana County. So we're in West Warren County. Talk about 15 miles away. Not here. There would be a, a a UFO incident over that town in early morning hours. And guess what? Early the next morning, over that little town, there was this very bizarre, strange, high-pitched sound that apparently many people were waking by. It was like something right over top of the town they couldn't see. It was so unusual they called the fire department out. And it was in the newspaper. And I was there when that was told to me.
0: Wow. That's extremely interesting. And I think even John Kill talked about situations like that too. Where sometimes somebody would be... Dealing with one of these experiences with either like a cryptid or even a euphonaut, and they'll be told one thing. Sometimes it would happen and sometimes it wouldn't. So I find it very interesting that you were actually able to be there for that one. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that one
1: was quite intriguing because that's something you just don't run into every day and those type of reports again out in this area are far and few between very very few people who ever told me it had some type of telepathic communication and i get that all those cases i can recall i mean these were just normal people who had no interest in these type of cases and they were very, very reluctant to even tell me. I mean, it was strange enough to tell me about seeing a Bigfoot, but they go into these other elements, and yet there were similarities in the different reports over many years.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's not something anybody wants to tell you. I mean, because, like you just said, you're already telling somebody that you just saw a Bigfoot. Why would you want to make it more weird on purpose just for it not to happen the next day? Yeah,
1: and, and that's what I look at when I interview these witnesses. I'm looking for the little details, and so many of them tell me these little details, and and you've got to be very careful. You don't want to lead the witness or put words in her mouth. So you got to be very careful, and just to see the things they bring up and the similarities of what happened on there. Just like uh, that sighting I, I mentioned on here just happened this past November. It was a very very good day, like Bigfoot sighting uh, up in Indiana County, up on the other side of the Chestnut Ridge, and. Um, I mean, I interviewed that person within a short time after she saw it that morning. I mean, it was a very detailed, very detailed report. And we've been getting reports up there for years. The last couple of years, other people within miles of where they're at, have been reporting seeing Bigfoot up there as well. And, um... But she talked about the animal reactions and she didn't know about this thing but she was telling me about the the dog and another animal on the property and how they reacted before and after the experience and didn't even know what she was telling me was that important and it was
0: well i i do have a question for you stan have you ever run across like the oz effect so in essence when somebody goes through one of these experiences, everything goes deathly quiet, there's no bugs in the background, they get an odd feeling come over their body, and then they that's go through very, the experience?
1: Oh, that's very common. And if you go over some of the stories in that report I sent you yesterday, I think I mentioned that in a couple of cases. Um, the Bigfoot sighting had occurred this past Mother's Day up on the dairy side of the Chestnut Ridge where a woman's walking dogs, and, uh, this book, Bigfoot, came out within Peterberg. She said right before it happened, everything just went quiet. All the nature sounds of birds quit chirping. Everything went completely quiet. That's very, very common. I have many hunters over the years that used to hunt certain areas, and they knew the areas as well. They said it was so strange the day they saw this thing that everything was completely quiet. It was a chilling feeling. That's, that's commonly reported.
0: That's interesting. I, I figured it might be, so I thought I might ask about that.
1: Well, Stan, can
0: you tell some of my listeners where to find some of your work?
1: Uh, sure. Well, then go to my website, which is stangordon.info, stangordon.info. There's a lot of information on there, including this new report I put on the incidents, some of the interesting incidents from last year. Um, they can contact me, uh, contact information on my website, uh, email the best ones at ufo at comcast.net and they can keep checking my website for uh, reports and upcoming events and speaking events while i'll be at we're starting to schedule a lot of them for this year and uh, all my books are available on amazon.com and barnes and Noble.com. The the new book newest book is called creepy cryptids and strange ufo encounters of pennsylvania and you will find a lot of things in there, a lot of creature things you've never heard of before. And and a lot of the, the detailed strange phenomena and, and different things I've been covering over the years with the, the Bigfoot and the cryptic uh, connection now and a lot of the strange things up on the Chestnut Ridge. Uh, Silent Invasion is a book about that massive UFO Bigf- Bigfoot outbreak in the 70s, which goes into great detail about the UFO and Bigfoot cases and a lot of the other weird things. And the mystery men had showed up and... There's a lot of things. And then Really Mysterious Pennsylvania uh, was the first book where people were physically very close to Bigfoot and UFOs and other creatures. And then Astonishing Encounters, Pennsylvania's Unknown Creatures has a lot of, again, very detailed uh, cryptid UFO Bigfoot cases. They're all different. And um, I think you'll find a lot of them very fascinating. But the new book and also Silent Invasion have a lot of really good information in them.
0: Well, Stan, I want to thank you for coming on with me. It's been a great interview. Again, I know my, I personally love your research, and I know my listeners will, too, if they're not already familiar with you.
1: Well, I appreciate that, and, uh, you know, we uh, look forward to see what the New Year's going to bring. Every year we get reports, I've already had several reports for 2023, 20, so we'll see what time brings uh, to it.
0: Wow, what a great interview with Stan. I hope you guys thoroughly enjoyed that. Now, in Stan's case, I fully ask you, go check out his website. He's got a very thorough report, and I think he puts one out every year. And he was kind enough to just email that to me yesterday. So if you want to keep up with it, go to Stan's website. You can also get in touch with him on there. He's got his books on there, and he signs every copy that you buy Now, this isn't a plug for Stan's books, it's just, again, I appreciate what Stan does, he's so thorough. If you have any of Stan's books and you go through them, it's just documentation. Boom, here's a case, boom, here's a case, boom, here's a case, here's the date, this is what happened. There's not a whole lot of speculation, it's just, here's the facts, this is what these people reported, and that is what I can appreciate. So again, I wanted to thank Stan. If you're an abductee and you need somebody to talk to, feel free to message me at theufosayahoo.com and I will talk to you. Or I will put you in contact with somebody who can help you. It doesn't have to be shared on my podcast I'm just looking to help people with the contact experience because I know it's not always the greatest so if you need that help please reach out to me I'm here to help you that's the whole point of these podcasts you can reach out to people like me Preston Dennett Debbie Cobble many others if you're needing help Please reach out. You will not be ridiculed by us. And I want to thank you. With that being said, I'm going to let you guys go. I want to thank the Ghoulies for Hot Rods from Outer Space. I want to thank Stan Gordon for coming on with me and being so patient and recording a second session with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to ask that you please rate and share my podcast. I'm sorry about the little rain at the beginning. I, I don't want to give you guys a whole lot of those. If you want to get a hold of me, or even maybe appear on the podcast, hit me up at theufos at Or go on my Facebook page, Abduction Enigma Podcast. And just remember, the UFOs want to tell
1: you something. All right, keep kicking it.